0: We're going. We're talking about the ultimate computer. I'll start out, and unless somebody else wants to. It seems like I always kind of jump in and do it. But you're welcome. Oh, okay, fine. I'll stick my neck out for <laughs> <laughs> this. This This is another one. You know, while I was watching this, it occurred. It, as much as I really enjoy this one, I, I just I feel like I'm kind of at the edge of the cliff with the show because it's right at the tail end of second season. And I just know there's a lot of subpar stuff coming, and it's like, like wow, we got the, another great episode, and then there's this drop, <laughs> <All right. laughs> and, and that's so it, it was a little, little funny that way, and it's like, like, like wow, is this? Was, is this and I, I don't remember where this appears in the production order of the show, but it, it from the uh, the standpoint of the air date order that we're going in, I think it's. It's it's kind of neat I mean, not that there aren't any good episodes in season three, but I don't know that there there's much that competes with this one in season three.
1: Oh, I couldn't. Well, I don't know the Tholian web and uh, the Enterprise incident, Day of the Dove. Um...
0: So that that might be incorrect. It just it's it's just more of a perception. That, that seems like we've had a number of really strong ones lately, and yeah and not not hundred mm-hmm. percent of course, so anyway, I have little fault with this one i i really i i think it has some some great things to say about technology and society and um its it's a great character study it um the the ideas in it have really aged well, i think, and it's um it's it's one of those things that I I've, I find even more remarkable considering the average knowledge of of computer technology in the late '60s, how how, how little you know it was in the public radar. So I, I like that. I, I I've always enjoyed the fact that there's there's some action in this one. There's the the Kirk gets to destroy another computer. And <laughs> it's it, and in a really really well done way. I think this might be the pinnacle of, of kirk talking the computer down <laughs> and um it's it's just it just fits together really really well i i think there are there are certainly things to nitpick about it but it it ages well for me i always enjoy watching it um so i'll turn it over to one of you guys
2: this is one of my all-time favorite episodes and it it's still after all these after all the times I've watched it, it's still a great pleasure for me to watch and it just is it's Star Trek at its best you know it's um it's dealing with the with these issues of the future and technology and a relationship between humans and and their own inventions and and all those great themes but it's also um other besides the things that John's mentioned as a sort of piece of television it's it's kind of revolutionary in some ways because it has it is this a revolution African American character <laughs> who's so, you know, multi dimensional. And and turns and the actor, and I forget his name, turns in such a great performance. William Marshall. William Marshall Thanks, is Eric. his name. And it's it's just like it's it's um, a testament to like boldness and casting, you know, willingness to kind of to really go out there, you know, the same the same sort of boldness that led to casting uh nichelle nichols right um and it's also a, a very well-written character you know with in and a, and a complex and flawed character played by an african-american yes. you know which at this point in, t- in tv i would be amazed if you could find uh, a character this rich an african-american character this rich on television you know i just don't think it's I mean, I'm sure you could find maybe one or two examples, but it's just, it's amazing. And then in the background is the fact that the script was written by D.C. Fontana, who's one of the great Star Trek, you know, script writers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a woman, you know, it's just like, this, this episode was written by a woman at a time when there were probably very few women writing in television, and it's got these great characters, and um, so it's just, it's rev- it's kind of revolutionary and ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And... I guess if I were going to, I have a couple of nitpicks in the way that the the characters kind of shift over the course of the episode, and Spock, Spock especially, I feel like is a little bit problematic. Like the way that he he kind of turns on a dime from admiring the M five to suddenly becoming disillusioned with it, and and realizing that he needs to be loyal to Kirk. And that that it, this time when I watched it seemed kind of jarring. And I'm gonna let Eric talk because i feel like i'm yeah and I, I
0: think that we're probably gonna i mean there are i think a couple of good way areas to focus the characters is a big one in this one yeah. to, to look at and you know the and i have a few things to talk about with the, the the way computers are are portrayed if you if you will in this one as well but yeah eric go ahead and jump yeah, in with your your overview
1: well the um your contention about spock i think uh is definitely debatable because mm-hmm. He was excited initially because, I mean, he'd been obviously keeping track of what was happening with the M5 development and what Daystrom was doing. So, you know, the idea of this, you know, this incredible new supercomputer and getting to see it and interact with it firsthand, you know, uh, undoubtedly he was thrilled with that prospect. But very quickly, uh, like uh, the scene when they first walk into engineering and Daystrom is there setting up the M5, you know, just like Kirk, although he doesn't say anything about it, Spock's, Spock clearly is unsettled by some of what he sees and hears. So I don't so think... What, it
2: would... No, I, you know, I'm, I agree with you that the the character, the arc for Spock in the episode is a great one and and very well-written, but I'm just not... I was like, it—it it was a surprise to me. I was like, "What is it that Spock is seeing that's making him suddenly so doubtful and cautious?" Well, I mean, I what, think what, what do you I th- think it was? I think part
1: of it was the way that. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But
2: no, no, no. I was go ahead. I was asking asking you a question. So oh,
1: okay. Um, I think part of it was uh, was the way uh, Daystrom treated Kirk because he was very. Um, imperious and Flippant with Kirk right off the and, bat and, and
0: antagonistic
1: yeah. for that matter yeah exactly and I think that I think that probably set off some warning bells for Spock and I think also you know the the way Daystrom was very protective uh, immediately um, you know questioning whether or not McCoy could be in engineering and
0: oh I don't know if Spock minded that part but. <laughs>
1: no probably not <laughs> but uh you know he was he was protective and defensive from the onset, and um I suspect that that uh alerted Spock to uh potential trouble
2: yeah i mean that that all makes sense i think it I think Spock says the first time you see him turn is when he says something to daystrom like there's there are more important things than i, I wish I could remember um what he says, but he he says like like you don't it, what you're saying, he says to Daystrom, it's it's not everything. Like there's more to it than than just. Uh,
1: well, he says that there are certain things that men know. need to do to remain men. Yes. And
2: I thought
0: Kirk said that.
2: Kirk did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But what is it the Spock says? I can't
0: remember. What, what, what are you? you what, are you talking about the part where he says they're efficient servants? I have no desire
2: to serve under them. Right. He says that to, to Kirk, right? right. But yeah, he, not to Daystrom. Before that, he, said, he turns on Daystrom at, at some point in engineering and says, I mean, he's, he's really excited or, or, you know, he's very fascinated by, by what he's seeing from the M5, and then...
0: Oh, Day, like, I, I, Rob, I think I know that um, when, when they're talking about the fact that it's drawing more and more yeah. power, and he says uh, just like a, a, a human needs more energy to uh, run than standing still.
1: And Spock right. points out that this is not a
0: human being. Yes, yeah, thank right. you. Yep. So that's and that that that's yeah. another uh I and I, I I think the way I read it is that it is it is a little bit abrupt, but I think it's also um it coincides with Spock realizing that that this machine is is flawed. Okay, and...
2: so he, here can I just interject for a second? So here's the here's a potential paradox or or problem with this this episode. Because the M5 fails not because it's the perfect machine, but because it's Insane. resembling a human being. Because it's becoming like a human being, and that's that's what makes it fail.
1: Well, and I was going to touch Go on this, because it's something that I uh, noticed when I was watching it, and I, I just watched it today. And that's that um, it, it's exactly, it goes back to exactly what you said, Rom. Uh, I think part of my uh, fascination and enjoyment with this episode is that uh, the m5 was in fact successful it did exactly what it was designed to do the problem was that uh, engrams that daystrom impressed on it were his own and he was unbalanced yeah. at the very least mm-hmm. so actually you,
0: you could also argue that HAL 9000 was was successful too
1: right and he did uh Daystrom did such a good job with designing and building the M5 that it was able to be insane un, you know unhinged <laughs> and that and Kirk used that to against it to ultimately cause it to shut down
0: it it, it is really really fun to see the parallels between the way the dialogue for m5 and the dialogue for daystrom are written mm-hmm. because they they when, when they're whenever anybody is interacting with either one of them they talk the same way practically and it's it's almost like i mean there's the same pride and defensiveness and other, other aspects that creep out after a little ways into the episode with daystrom that and you know at some point the m5 also you know like it's still having to justify itself and it like yeah it 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 it's it sounded to me almost like um certain some of the speeches that Daystrom made it was like he still was was pitching it
2: mm-hmm. to
0: to people like like it didn't you know he the thing that's interesting about it is how is how Daystrom as a character could have he had everything going he had everything set up for him to do his experiment on the enterprise he goes in there, and they 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 do their test, but he it's not enough. He's still he's still convincing. He doesn't need to convince Kirk, or, or let alone McCoy, of this. But he's still trying to argue that as as if you know they haven't really bought it. And it, it's it's interesting to see that that they're still defensive and and this uh, this this thing like he's giving a presentation almost. Well, you well, know. Is, go ahead. Well, I go was going
1: to say I, I'm. I'm not a psychologist, but uh, I think probably the definition for that would be paranoid schizophrenia. He was, you know, Sounds when, right he, to me. when yeah. he's finally breaking up there on, at the end of, on the bridge, you know, he talks about his colleagues laughing at the boy wonder and mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. on his work. And
0: and that, that's very crucial, I think. Yeah. That's one reason why the character is so good is because they throw these little bits in in very amount, short amount of time. That gives you a lot of detail on where this character is coming from.
1: Right. What were you gonna say, Rob?
2: No, uh, no, no. I, th- I think that's that's right. And I, um, you know, it's almost as though the M5 and therefore Daystrom. It's not enough for the, the M5 to prevail in these war games, but the M5 needs to prove that it can, it can do, that it can be powerful for real. You know. Yeah. Um, it just has this. This need to to prove itself that maybe comes from Daystrom and there's also that link that you mentioned. Um, well, you mentioned the schizophrenia. There, you, that's a, a disease that tends to emerge at, at a relatively young age, you know. And so you kind of want there's, and there's this kind of association with insanity and brilliance together, you know. That this you'd imagine that Daystrom is the same thing that made him brilliant is also what drove him mad, mad you know, right. that also which is just you know it's just a fascinating and then there's that great speech where where Kirk says you know where he's he's kind of empathizing with Daystrom and he's saying you know
1: where do you go from up
2: where do you go from up yeah you can't yeah. say today I will be brilliant and I, Eric I know that's one of your favorite speeches because I've I know you've quoted that before um <laughs> I have. So that is okay. just a great that's just a great He's, Eric says it every morning when he gets out of bed. So. <laughs> today you, I will be brilliant. Today no. <laughs> we'll be brilliant. Just like yesterday. Yes. I
0: I, I think it's um, yeah again part of part of the reason why this works so well is that there really is at least on one level the, a, a real exchange of ideas between the characters. Yeah. yeah. That just makes the characters so rich. And speaking of the Rob, you mentioned how. Great! It was to have an African American character of that complexity, but also somebody who who is a genuine intellectual, mm-hmm. a very you know high. I mean, top top of the top of the pack and everything else.
2: I mean, in, in in, in, in fact, yeah, go ahead.
0: And then, then of course, you know, I've always wondered about that: is that they they named an institute after after him? After all this, even though he you know, his computer murdered hundreds of people.
2: Oh, interesting. That's right? kind of
0: interesting. I've always wondered about that. Well, and which which leads me to as long as I'm on the the the, the death part is that um, there are hundreds of people killed in in this incident, and it's how obviously how Kirk convinces M5 to kill itself, but it, it it like a lot of other episodes where they just run out of time at the end. It's 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 treated very lightly like they just go on their merry way with a little joke and that's the end of the episode and that's
1: well i you know i don't i don't think i agree with that because i mean they had to wrap things up and there was more than enough i mean kirk was beside himself when the m5 was attacking the other starships and you know he put not only his own life but his ship and the crew's lives on the line mm-hmm. in order to uh to stop the M5 and uh, prevent the any further. Oh, time. and I don't. I, I'm not
0: saying it's taken lightly within the episode, but and and maybe I've just been corrupted by too many um, episodes of Next Gen where the you know something bad happens and the the credits roll with a, a picture of Jean Luc Picard staring out the porthole, yeah. you know, pondering the lo- meaning of life or something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't it sort of in the. In the toolbox at the time of the original series, right? It had, very to, they had often. to be wrapped up on some sort of, you know, um, it, it yeah. had there had to be returned to normal at the end of every episode. Right. right,
0: and sometimes I just think that the clock ran out, and it, it feels abrupt sometimes.
2: I I do agree that that happens, um, but I don't minor, know. Minor issue, case... though, I think. though. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Just just to be clear.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if this was a case where they where they ran out of time necessarily, but they. Um, but they felt like they needed to end it the way that every other episode, even though it's a great tragedy for Starfleet, right? Sure. They'll lose all these crew, but they, but they still felt like they needed to um, end on it. what we used to call, we were kids. We used to call the going out of orbit joke. Yeah. Well, yeah. This, this the tab thing, one. Actually, I, I think
1: yeah. what we have to keep in mind here is uh, you're contrasting two different uh, uh, perspectives on this entire situation because the thrust of the episode is about. The supercomputer that humans are interacting with, and you know, is it as alive? Is it intelligent? Um, and how do we deal with it? And ultimately, um, well, we know how it resolves. But at the closing, Kirk uh, Spock is asking Kirk about why he uh, used the tactics that he did and what made him think that would work, and Kirk. Says that he knew Bob Wesley and he trusted his humanity. And right. so, there you know, you've got the counterpoint of the artificial intelligence that murdered all these people and the human who trusted his instincts and um, did the humane, compassionate thing and didn't fire on the Enterprise.
0: And, and it ends with, with the affirmation of their humanity because computers
2: are not funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> No, there's nothing funny about the M5. That's for sure. Well, what no, about Data? It, it, huh? it,
0: what they, about Data? They, oh, fine. Yeah,
2: Data's hilarious. <laughs> but look
0: how long it took them to make a computer that was funny.
2: All right, all right. After this, yeah. centuries from now, <laughs> centuries. Yeah, um, yeah. There's uh, I, I do remember. Um, it it didn't bother me th- this much, and I and I'd like to get your your guys' take on this, but the ability of the M5 to defeat four starships, uh, you know, of, uh, What are they? Galaxy? No. What was the class? Constitution. Constitution. Four, four other constitution class starships. Right. Um, just apparently through more agile maneuvering. Um, even when I was a kid, I remember being skeptical of that. (laughs) Um, just using phasers. Can you really disable? Um, and it's, I mean, it's, As though the way that it's presented, there's no it's no contest, right? The M5 is completely kicking ass.
0: Well, Um, well, we'll go ahead, Eric. I think you're probably going to say what I'm going to say.
1: Okay. Well, um, that actually has kind of nagged at me too. It it doesn't ruin the episode by any means. No, but um, well, the reason that um, the damage was the initial damage was inflicted was because the M5 got the jump on them, and they didn't the other ships didn't have their shields up. So, you know... And, That's and, right.
2: And, and McCoy actually says that. He says... If they cut so loose you know with full phasers happen,
1: yeah. against unshielded ships. Yeah, yeah so it's like mm-hmm. in
2: Star Trek too. Yeah.
1: yeah. But the thing is, after that initial attack, unless their shields were completely non-functional, the captains of those four starships would have raised shields immediately and mm-hmm. gone into a uh, full battle posture. So... Mm-hmm you know I, I i
0: think though that yeah, and I think, Eric that's exactly right it, that initial the initial um encounter uh, yeah they they definitely got the jump, and maybe even the m five could have destroyed one of the ships before anybody could respond, but the fact that um this these i mean they they even say that there are other computers that run the ship under human control, mm-hmm. and it just it seems such a huge difference in in like, like well, these slow you know slow moving meat bags like Sulu are not you know they're <laughs> right. not able to <laughs> it's yeah going like, well i
1: I, I think what they're what they're referring to there is that you know uh, when under human control the orders originate with Kirk and then they go to um Sulu and Chekhov and then Sulu and Chekhov do whatever it is, and instead you've got the m5 <laughs> um instantaneously calculating what
0: it, and i i think that's that's fair it's it but it does seem like i, I don't know it it it, it looks when it, when it, when you're watching it it looks a little ridiculous but on the other hand they they can't you know dramatically the the M5 has to be menacing enough that in other words it it needed to be capable of all this destruction otherwise yeah. It, it, it's yeah
2: it, it 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 becomes
0: it just really takes a lot of the, the teeth out
2: yeah. Yeah. No, I I understand why the why it had to be that way, and I think it's a it's really just a quibbling a little in some ways. Yeah. Um, and and as usual, Eric provides a quite convincing <laughs> explanation for things that at first seem implausible and, and
0: and rob i i think you need to turn in your star trek geek card for not knowing that the class of a ship that these are oh yes you know, i mean <laughs> come
2: on. in my defense i at one time i did know it and it was just in the recesses and it would have come out like i knew that galaxy class was the accessing, the accessing Enterprise. Yeah. right exactly i'm ac- i was accessing yeah. um it is oh yes it
0: is still in my memory bags, <laughs> my yes. memory bags. name
2: that episode rob <laughs> Now so you got. It, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead.
1: Um, one of the other things that um, I noticed when I rewatched uh, this episode is that when uh, M5 gets the jump on the task force and the war games, they show Wesley, um, Commodore Wesley, on the Lexington, and he goes, "Full phasers! What the devil is Kirk doing, dude?" It's the M five. Why are you blaming right, right. Carl? Yeah, he
0: he seems a little dense. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, you are. Considering best. he's such a you know hotshot star starship captain.
2: Yeah, he's a uh, he's a living example of the Pareto principle, right? Or the Pareto principle, however you pronounce it. <laughs> um, so you, you you rise to the point where you're oh, incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yes. I, I now I of course I, I think if, if Ron Tracy had been leading the task force, maybe this wouldn't have
2: happened. No, Ron Ron Tracy wouldn't have he's he kicks ass, Ron Tracy does. Yeah, he wouldn't have been caught like
0: that with his pants down.
2: So you know, some somewhere I'm sure there is probably decades ago there was a a listserv discussion of which Starship <laughs> captain would, would win in a
0: Yeah it's in
2: it's, a, a Melee. Yeah, made, made I'm it. sure Ron Tracy was right up there. Oh you know, yeah, probably he, maybe he, even number one. I don't know. He's he ranked. But remember, yeah. Kirk
1: ultimately beat Tracy.
2: He yeah. needed help, though. You mean you mean through his his guile?
1: Yeah. Well, however you want to or put his... it, he ultimately beat Tracy. I mean, in in the the context, oh, he's just
2: in in raw raw uh, strength and.
1: Well, in in <laughs> the, no, but but in only the previous because episode the Omega Glory and that final fight. Well. But no,
2: only because Spock glamoured the, the lady, right? It's okay. If Spock hadn't intervened, then Kirk would have lost.
1: Okay, well, let's get back to the All ultimate right.
2: computer. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into the weeds here a little bit. On uh,
0: so, I, um, one of the oh, go ahead, Rob.
2: No, I. The other thing about this episode that's astoundingly good, and and just just astounding that it's you know it's relatively. I don't know. I mean, we're only in the second season, but whatever. But is that the, we've discovered a whole new way to look inside of Kirk's character and and sort of reveal some a new vulnerability, you know? Like he's like this episode is about Daystrom, but it's also just as much about Kirk, you know? Mm-hmm. And his he's never faced this kind of challenge before. Like a challenge to his very his very purpose in life. Yeah. It's in a way it's a deeper challenge than even all the other things that he's, you know, all the, the puzzles and, and physical threats and all the things he's had to overcome. This is like the worst, like being told that you no longer serve any, any purpose. Captain Dunson. And there's like Captain Dunstall. And there's that great moment where he just, he walks off the bridge yeah. in silence. And that's something you've never seen Kirk do before.
0: Well, he had no response for that. He had, he had nothing to he was, say. He was, yeah. he was crushed. Yeah. yeah.
2: And that's yeah, just, that, that's that's yeah. a
0: great vulnerability in a character.
2: And that they're willing to I mean, it's uh to add that on, you know, on to everything else that the the episode deals with is just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Yeah, the I mean, uh, and the whole interaction between uh, McCoy and Kirk immediately after that and Kirk's mm-hmm. quarter set, um mm-hmm. that's a that's a great scene in it and I know I've made this comparison before, but it really harkens back to uh, Roddenberry's contention that um, Star Trek was Horatio Hornblower in space because mm-hmm. if you read those books or watch the A um, and E movies, you know there's a, you get a really powerful sense of the connection between the ship and the captain, and uh, well, and he even says it, you know, and in that conversation in Kirk's quarters after Wesley calls him Captain Dunsel, between um, Kirk and McCoy, he talks about um the days of sail the he quotes a piece of a a poem called sea fever by john Masefield, who was the uh, who was a poet laureate, laureate of uh in, of england when i do my write up i'm going to include the text of it cuz it is a, actually a very cool poem but you know when yeah. he talks about and all i ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by it's uh, i don't know i've i've that's that scene in his quarters there—that's uh, always been one of my favorite out of the entire series.
0: It's such a, a great um, flourish on the on the part of the writing, yeah. the writer on uh, DC Fontana. It's 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 an it's this extra effort that makes this episode so good. Um, one, another thing that occurred to me—I that may be a bit of a stretch, but it still popped into my head while I was watching it—is that, getting back to the idea of. Um, Daystrom and his—you could call it his alter ego on the computer—who has all this power—reminded me a little bit of the way that um, the technology in Forbidden Planet is used, where it's the um, subconscious, in this case, of, of Morbius. Oh, right. It's un, un, unleashed with with great power and mm-hmm. destruction. And that, it's it's a little bit—it's I mean, not exactly the same, but it it it's it's on the same same idea i think
2: yeah he i did know. right yeah go ahead go ahead yeah yeah.
0: That, that this 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 you could call the 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 crell the technologies they don't really specify what it is you know a, the equivalent of the m5 on a planetary scale
2: yeah except
0: it's 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 not directly the same but it's still modeled after a flawed human's mind
1: right um and that's a that's an excellent point john i hadn't thought of that but
0: um it it just you know the the more the, the more time goes by and the the more times i see that movie the more i'm convinced that it in some ways it's a real blueprint for what star trek became
1: yes i, I agree completely because um i've thought the same thing when i've uh, when i've watched it um, there are a number of parallels um well the the captain uh of the ship uh that he seems like a proto kirk
0: and there are a lot of parallels i i i i just have to think that roddenberry and fontana and maybe some of the other writers were familiar with this movie
1: oh yes um undoubtedly and uh i was reading something um oh i can't remember what it was it was a uh, write-up of an interview with roddenberry and uh he was talking about uh robert Heinlein and some of Heinlein's books especially the earlier ones um uh, starship or spaceship uh, starship troopers, and I think even more yeah. so uh space cadet which dealt with um, uh, the the patrol which was um, if if you read that book uh the parallels between the patrol and starfleet are striking
0: hmm. yeah so that and as a uh, villain computer kind of kind of uh, device it's it, it's it's effective, but it it it's so it's so so good because again it's not just a robot that's run amok. It's it's actually it, it has deeper meaning to it.
1: Right, right.
0: And that's uh, that that's one of the reasons one is is so great. Do we have any misogyny in this one? I think Uhura's the only female in the in the show.
2: Well, I did notice that they're whenever they're talking about. Human being, there's a lot of man does this and yes. man does that, right? Men R- need no longer die in space, <laughs> and, and, and
0: and that's like a yeah, it's very male centric and not not you know his ship and his and the men who serve under him and blah blah right, blah. It's,
2: right. Even though um, we know there are there are women in, on serving on the ship and in Starfleet and right and ironically it's written by a woman but. Well, the story
1: wasn't written. D.C. Uh, Fontana wrote the teleplay, but uh, the story was by somebody named Lawrence N. Wolf. But even yeah. so, the, the script was, was great.
0: And the, the yeah. funny thing um, about this one that it occurred to me is that the, if you look at the design for the prop that, that represents the main part of M5, mm-hmm. um, it looks exactly like the computer in the episode we're going to watch next.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: Brett, Isn't is his next oh, movie. I'm sorry. No, I, I Assignment Earth is it? So it, the one after that. Yeah. So it's like two episodes later, you see the M5 again at a different, being repurposed.
1: And wasn't um, let's see, uh, he called that a Beta Five computer, didn't he? Wasn't it a Beta Five in Assignment I Earth?
2: Don't remember. Yeah. I'll have to watch it. Dude, yeah. Oh, what Assignment Earth. Um, <laughs> so one that that just reminds me of one other thing I liked about the episode um, is the way that they they usually this is done really well in the original series and the, the pacing and setting up the 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 menace gradually and with the M5 like you it's it's not they don't show it for quite a while they talk about it and then you just see it you sort of see the um but as the episode unfolds you see it more and more you actually see the computer and then you hear it and i think it's a really because at the beginning it's just this thing out there that's you know intangible and so they cre- they create some mystery around it and star trek does that really well um yeah quite often it's a, it's um,
0: well well done suspense
2: that yeah. that's one
1: thing i've noticed about um star trek and maybe some other 60s and 70s series tv series um and that's that uh some frequently the production and even the acting and the directing is well it 's not only different, but I would say inferior to what you see today but very often um, the storytelling uh, was better on average, I think than a lot of what you see today because uh, they seem to do a better job of pacing the stories and mm-hmm.
0: um, well I, I think based on what they have to work with they 're much more efficient at it and i 've seen a lot awful lot of um, say HBO shows and other things lately that are really well done some of them and but but they have um big budgets they have a lot of time to um bring out their story arcs mm-hmm. and develop characters mm-hmm. they have a luxury that the original series did not have oh
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, that's, that's the, cons- the true.
0: constraints under that the old format which is you know you have to make a self-contained 55 minute episode mm mm-hmm. mhm and that's and, and so when when they manage to pace it correctly, that that's that's a big achievement I
2: think. Which which I would say is more often than not. And it could be that I'm just I'm remembering the good episodes and forgetting about the ones where the pacing is is off. But um, these are you know these are really. Pro- consummate professionals who are doing this for the most part, you know, oh, and we absolutely. know. I mean, we know what happens in the third season, so it kind of it kind of ends tragically, but <laughs> still, <laughs> you still admire them. Yeah, you know, and
0: and I, and I think I, I also like the way the you know, on the acting side that the you you have the two scenery chewers in this episode, Daystrom mm-hmm. and Kirk, and they they balance out really well.
2: You know, and that's that's like this, this profound insight that that the Star Trek whoever was running the show, if it was Roddenberry or Probably Roddenberry and and um, Freddie Freiberger or you know. Yeah, Freiberger they...
1: didn't come in until third
2: season. Oh, okay, never mind then. Forget that. So, um, <laughs> he sucked. But <laughs> he sucked. He's responsible for all the terrible crap. Spots for no, it. but <laughs> what they they understood, and i said this before in other podcasts, is that you, in order to bring out the best qualities of the hero and to make and to make the hero more interesting and and great have greater depth you need to have a worthy opponent and right. so there are all these great with these well-written adversaries who are you know every bit as as strong and powerful you know witty you know uh, clever as kirk and, and the enterprise crew and um and is just as interesting and complex and you know what i mean and it's yeah. um it's just it's one of the great insights that they that that's i think is lost now like you watch there's so many tv show like adventure tv shows that you watch where they just don't get it or
0: movies for that matter
2: or and especially movies probably even more where they don't get that insight that like that, that really important storytelling insight and it just and the other thing that i miss and then i'll get off my soapbox is that i miss the um the kind of dialogue that you see here you know that's this rich in illusion and and not afraid to address the themes, you know, that are and like I was I saw I caught part of an episode of this science fiction um series, uh Revolution. You oh yeah, I've
0: been reading about that one.
2: And it was just so disappointing because it's yeah. the dialogue is so um just limp, you know. There's never any you know, there's no richness to it at all and it just um and the character's not interesting at all wait um go ahead go ahead
1: well and i I I sympathize uh very much with those sentiments, rob, and I think one of the real problems um is that in the sixties and the seventies um there were still uh genuine science fiction authors like um well of course asimov clark Niven Heinlein, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Who didn't dumb down the science in their stories, and I think that I think that had an effect on uh, the science fiction uh, in both TV and what you saw in the movies mm-hmm. uh, And we've seen Hollywood move to uh, uh, really dumb down the science and not give it the kind of attention that it deserves. Because I mean, uh say what you will, um you know it's science fiction if you ignore the science part of it, mm-hmm. then you've bastardized it completely, and that's i i I understand what you're talking about, and I think that has a lot to do with it
2: I think that's a good a really good point, and um something that you've a point that you've made um before I know is that you the the science part of it is is important and when you have a science fiction show that's essentially really just fantasy right there's something important missing from it Absolutely. and if it doesn't doesn't explore you know issues of technology and and our relationship to it then it's kind of failing as i mean that's kind of i guess that's kind of a bold statement but in some in some ways it's failing as as science fiction
1: well mm-hmm. no i don't think that's a bold statement at all i think it's a, <laughs>
0: completely true it could be even considered conventional wisdom now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the, the great series like like Battlestar, you know. Um that's what that's what it's all about, like it's yeah. you know, it's at the heart of it.
0: And it can still be done, but it it, it seems yeah. rare.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's that's a show that kind of restored my faith, you know, a lot yeah. in the ability of there new things to be done, you know, with with science fiction TV series. Um and so that you know there's hope. Yep,
0: there is hope. Um, did you guys watch the remastered version? I did. I didn't. I, I yeah, didn't. I, I I did too. Yeah.
1: And I actually uh, this is one of them where I really appreciated the the redone uh, special effects. The the ships look better, you know. The the battle looks much more convincing. Mm. Uh, and what very I really so. noticed it was kind of, it was very minor. But uh well, there were two things. The uh the design of the space station. We, that wasn't in the original series, the original episode. And uh I really liked the fact that they uh whoever was responding, I think it was CBS, the designer actually looked at um you compare it to space station k7 from the trouble with tribbles and you can right. see a design lineage there they paid attention mm. to that and mm-hmm. you know it i i really like that because it looks like a looks completely believable as a as a federation starbase
0: um yeah and i, I and with the um uh, and, and the old one was always i, I mean I, when i was a kid i didn't really care it was novel oh look at all these extra ships but um but really, when you watch it now, the the old effect shots in this one have, you can tell that it's basically all existing footage and effect shots printed together, you know, mm-hmm. probably shrunken and reprinted so you can see, you know, four different Enterprise shots mm-hmm. cut in that, that certain way, and, and they'll make the angles different to try and tell you that there's a different ship firing and that kind of thing, which, given what they had to work with, is was I'm not really ripping on it, but... The new effects really help in this case. Yeah, they do. It's
2: still, it's still. You know, I'll have to watch it with the, with the new effects. I think it seems like it would be worth it. But that, I do remember when I was a kid watching that particular shot, and just you know, like wetting my pants. Because yeah. it, it was so exciting to see four yeah. Constitution class starships. Well, I'll be interested on to the know screen.
1: when you yeah. um, when you rewatch it if you wet your pants again.
2: <laughs> I probably will. It's happening more and more often. <laughs> um, Brought to you by Depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. We have a sponsor this week.
0: Um,
1: one of the other things about the remastered um, uh, effects, and uh, I'm I'm still on the fence about them because in some cases they did a nice job with them and they, they enhanced the episode and others um, it looks like they cheaped out. But, uh, In the initial shot, uh, the opening shot of the episode, the remastered episode, they show the Enterprise approaching the space station, and the impulse engine lights are glowing red, the ones at the back of the primary hull. And as it approaches the space station, they dim and go out. And I had never noticed that before when I watched the um, uh, when I watched the remastered episode, but you know, it's a, a, a very minor touch, but... Uh, no, it's a good one, though. Yeah, it's it makes sense. I mean, of course, they're going to shut down. You know, they're not going to be warping into this space station. They're going to be going in on impulse engines, and as they get closer, they're going to... Yeah, I,
0: I think that for the most part, the people who put these together really knew the material. And, yeah. and, and, and probably some of those little visual cues also show up in the original series movies, for example. Things like that. And it's a good... It just means they were paying attention and gave a shit. Yeah, yeah. And that that and that's mm-hmm. nice. And sometimes you're right. I think they're either they don't really add anything, but it's just oh, it's a prettier looking planet shot, uh, things like that. I don't really care either way. But yeah. um, but episodes like this it, it does help.
1: And um, Rob, if you uh, if you do Netflix streaming, they have mm-hmm. all of the uh, the remastered episodes.
0: Oh, available. Okay. yeah, they're in high def too, which is nice.
1: Yeah. It's only like um. eight bucks a month, so.
2: Brought to you by Netflix.
1: Yes. Hey, I should demand a commission.
2: Mm-hmm. So one, one final note. Um, I mean, you, unless you guys have anything else, but William Marshall, who played Dr. Daystrom, was yes. best known for what film? I
0: don't remember him in anything else, So,
2: and I'm not going to cheat and look it up. He was best known as the star of the 1972 blaxploitation classic, Blackula. Wow. Yeah. Man. Well wow, that that's I don't know what to say. Quite <laughs> <laughs> the quite the career. Oh, I just looked it. gotta up do on, what you gotta do. Go on ahead, sorry. Uh,
1: memory alpha and uh he died um in two thousand three. Um it would have been interesting uh, maybe there are interviews with him somewhere, but it would have been interesting to know what uh his opinion of this episode and his character and was. Yeah, help. absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. You would think especially... Wish.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, you would think especially in 1968 a uh, uh, role as rich as that one for a black actor, you know, that must have been a plum. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's a good role. Well, I think that's all I got for this
2: one. How about you guys?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'm ready to wrap it up.
2: Okay. And, yeah, uh, Good. good discussion. I think this was yeah. one of the one of the best if I don't say so myself. <laughs> I mean it's you certainly certainly one of my best performances on the podcast.
0: Well, we're all gratified to hear that, Rawl. Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that this all is right. good. And um get good material, you get, you, good get a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. And ne- up next is Bloody Romans.
1: Bloody Romans.
0: Romans. That that'll be fun. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I don't think oh. I've heard of that. that. That proto-reality show, Hunger Games, kind of. <laughs> All right.
1: I can already tell, though, that um, one of the problems... I mean, I hadn't thought about it, really, but Bread and Circuses um, has some of the same problems that um, the Omega Glory did. I mean, mm. the parallels oh, yeah. are too on the nose.
2: But Eric, it's yep. the son of God. <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to talk about that. Yeah, I,
0: uh, no, it'll still be yeah. very amusing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and <laughs> yeah, we'll do a special on you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, we'll uh, tune in next time. Night. Good night. Good night.